why do I have a bachelor's degree? <laughs> my mom's like, because I told her when I graduated, I was like, honestly, I'm really surprised that we're at this point. And she's like, we are too. And it's like, what? honestly, because college is a joke and it's a scam. Do a trade school. Did I tell you I thought I didn't graduate for a while? I feel like I must have told you that. Probably, but I... Because I never got my diploma in the middle. Oh. I didn't do... I opted out of the graduation ceremony because mm-hmm. I fucking hate ceremonies mm-hmm. of any kind. And um, so I didn't do the ceremony. And then they never... They said they would mail me my diploma and they never fucking sent it to me. And didn't so they for, send it to your, like, an old address or something? No, oh, I never got it. Them. They never sent it. And for a while it was like... Maybe I didn't actually graduate. <laughs> yeah. Maybe college was a fever dream and I didn't go. Maybe Honestly, I failed. I would have believed that. What if I failed my <laughs> fucking music class? Like I didn't what if he lied to me when he said that I passed? <laughs> yeah, that one his one class would not have held you from graduate. Well, That's maybe. true, but I thought maybe I failed like economics or something and I went back and I looked at my transcripts and stuff and it said that I graduated. So I was like Where's my diploma? Hopefully nobody asks. I don't fucking know. That's no I don't know. Whatever. Um all right, so awesome. what'd you think of that song, The Great Gig in the Sky? We, you, you guys oh. who are listening to the podcast, what you don't know is that we just re-recorded Ross Kilda, so fucking keep your goddamn ears peeled for when we post that. I'll tell you when. So, I mean, if you want to go back and listen to the old one while you have the chance, I guess fucking go for it, but it's going to be way better when I tell you to listen to it <laughs> when it's new and updated. So we just re-recorded Ross Kilda, which was in season two. And then we listened to Pink Floyd's The Great Gig in the Sky, which is on the Dark Side of the Moon album. And Cassie hadn't listened to this before. Jake knows I've heard it. That. I You've did. heard it? Yeah. Okay. It's, I mean, I've not it's listened huge. to the album in whole is what you asked. Well, I'm pretty sure that her voice is featured on other songs. I was going to say, I, I, I'm pretty sure I'd heard her doing other chorus bits for them. So Yeah. So the whole Dark Side of the Moon album, it is a... It's Pink Floyd. It's a concept album. The songs all kind of flow together. So there are different elements and like melodies that you'll hear at the beginning that you'll also hear at the end. It's like listening to this album is a fucking journey. (laughs) And so I'm pretty sure that she pops up at various points, but she's mainly featured on this song, The Great Gig in the Sky. And I was listening to this fucking album as I revisit every, you know, year or so i go through like all the pink floyd albums and i was like who the fuck is that like who is she because that's floyd she's She's not she's pink (laughs) Uh, she's not in the band so she was probably just some like session musician or like Mm -hmm. who the fuck was she and when she agreed to do this thing in the studio with this band who wasn't really that big at the time did she know I mean, she couldn't have possibly known how iconic her voice would have been on their record. And she's not even in the band. Did she get the credit? Did she get the payment? Like, I was just so curious about it. So I went and found an article. Yeah. Was she properly credited on the album? We will find out. But first, Jake introduces the podcast. Yes. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Death by Music Podcast. I am Jake, as previously mentioned. And I'm here with Cassie and Alex. Hi. Hello. <laughs> so um, this article is from Vulture, and it's by Craig Jenkins. Who names a baby Craig? I don't fucking know. Bart Harley Jarvis. You never watched the Tim Robinson show, did you? I mean, I tried. Oh, my God. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm not really sure where to start because we probably just cut a whole bunch of nonsense out. So <laughs> I don't know where to connect to this. I'm just going to say, who names a baby Craig? 
Anyways, this song is Claire Tory's <laughs> voice is seared into your brain whether you know it or not. That's how far we trailed off. Fucking true. Um, so here is a big preface to this article. It says, fame, at least lasting fame, the your work goes down in history kind, often like accompanied by fat royalty payments. Fame is a club that thinks of itself as an unbiased meritocracy, blind to everything but aesthetic innovation and popular success. It's never quite worked out that way. When we look at the past, we still see generations of great talents who never quite got their due critically or commercially. Many of them left relatively unsung. In this ongoing series, our critics pick artists they feel remain unappreciate, underappreciated and tell their stories and sing their praises. So... Success in the music industry is a spurious concept. You can keep a low profile on the charts, but stay afloat through ad placements and endorsement deals, as the rapper Vince Staples does, creating lean, anthemic music that kills in clubs, movie trailers, and Sprite commercials. You can have an inescapable presence on TV and radio and still be functionally penniless, as the R&B singing group TLC revealed at the 1996 Grammys where they won two awards for the multi-platinum 1994 album Crazy Sexy Cool, then shocked journalists by announcing that they were broke as broke can be at the post-show presser. I'm sorry, Vince Staples is a rapper? I don't know. He sounds like a... Like, that name sounds like it'd be a country guy. Yeah, it does, because Vince. <laughs> Vince Staples, I don't know. Uh, the British singer Claire Tory knows the biz's peaks and valleys. A life-changing evening phone call once landed her an indelible appearance on an album that would go on to sell over 45 million copies worldwide and create a lasting legacy as one of the finest moments in rock and roll history. But she was paid a day laborer's wages for her contributions and she had to fight just to get her name on the finished product. You listen to that fucking song. She had to fight to get her name on the credits. She was literally that. She was that song. She was the only fucking, so, like, crazy. Okay. Ugh, so, I hate men. <laughs> Amen. Um, the album is Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. The song is The Great Gig in the Sky. The volcanic interlude that famously nudges the druggy oceanic lilt of the single time into an orgiast orgiastic frenzy. Ah, orgiastic. What would you bring to an orgy? Grapes. Did we talk about this? Grapes. That's a good idea. You said that. Jake said that. Grapes? Yeah, we, we talked there. about food. And uh... she wasn't there for that. Oh, we both bring grapes, red or green. <laughs> We have to make sure we don't show up with the same grapes, Jake. (laughs) (laughs) I would have brought red. Cotton candy. Cotton candy grapes. Have you had those? Oh, what about grapples? They're apples that taste like grapes. Artificial grapes. You never had one of those? No, but I want one. I love artificial grape flavor. Oh, well. (laughs) I'm not being sarcastic. I'm going to bring a grapeple to the orgy. I thought you had one for me now. (laughs) No, I'm sorry. I'll have to find one. We've got to go to the orgy. (laughs) Anyways, uh, the song is an orgiastic frenzy. Tori's performance manages to express the full range of human emotion without relying on words. She whoops and wails through octaves before collapsing into her lower register and trailing off into silence as the drums drop out and pianist Richard Wright and bassist Roger Waters pluck out a coda that sounds like an elegy. God, this is poetic. 
Uh, Dark Side producer Alan Parsons discovered Tori doing covers for Top of the Pops, a long-running compilation series that successfully sold convincing facsimiles. I don't know how to say that word. Facsimiles? Facsimile? Sold convincing facsimiles of the hits of the day recorded by uncredited session musicians. Featuring Tori netted the band a timeless performance. The song is pea soup without her. But at the end of the night, she was paid just 30 pounds. And that much only because it was double time on a Sunday. As she'd later tell John Harris, author of The Dark Side of the Moon, the making of the Pink Floyd masterpiece. So, um, I don't know if some people don't... I mean, if they're listening to our podcast, I'd assume they know what a session musician is, but maybe not. Mm. They are the people who are on standby. If If you're in the studio and you're like writing a song, you're like... Fuck, I would really love a saxophone solo right here. You got a guy, and then the producer, whoever's like, oh, yeah, we know a guy. And then they call him, and he comes in, and he just does this, like, piece for their thing, but he's not in the band. Mm -hmm. So they're just on call, basically, to play whatever the fuck he wants. So she's a session musician. Session work is rewarding, but also nomadic and sometimes frustratingly anonymous. Great players participate in memorable work, but shuffle along to the next before the accolades roll in. Their names are known only to bands, industry hawks, and intrepid diehards who comb album credits. Insofar as these names ever make it into the credits, you can probably conjure the fleet disco beat of Michael Jackson's Billie Jean from memory, but not the name of the player, Leon Chank. Chancellor, who was versatile enough to drum for everyone from Miles Davis to Lionel Richie. Uh, his name is not common knowledge. Tori's singing career never quite reached the altitudes to which her elastic range and white-hot passion seemed destined. She started giggling on a lark to settle an overdraft fee with her bank in the late 60s. Gigging? Giggling. That makes more sense. <laughs> I was like, I was like, she had an overdraft fee and she started laughing. That's I'd be not, crying. That's not that funny, but some people got a dark sense of humor. I don't fucking know. That's you reach your that's breaking it. point there. Good luck pulling Ooh, pennies from like, the bank. Ah, fucking smite me, you almighty smiter. Oh, God. <laughs> she started, she started geeking. Why'd you let me finish that whole fucking sentence before you corrected me? Sorry. <laughs> Are you on TikTok? No. She started gigging on a lark to settle an overdraft fee with her bank in the late 60s, but stuck around because it felt natural. Yeah, what the fuck? Of course it did for her. Early singles like The Music Attracts Me and Unsure Feelings bricked despite Tori's lovelorn delivery. A mix of simmering intensity and complete control, not unlike that of the American blue-eyed soul singers Todd Rundgren and Laura Nero. But companies like the UK airline British Caledonian tapped Tori for adverts. The singer was never at a loss for work behind the scenes, but her push for solo stardom was met with relative indifference. Prime real estate in the middle of the dark side of the moon didn't change Tori's luck as a solo artist, but the Pink Floyd connection did make her voice a respectable commodity to an eclectic lot of musicians. Her late 70s includes appearances in the French disco composer Theron's Angelina the Alan Parsons projects Don't Hold Back and albums by the singers Olivia Newton-John and Serge Gainsbourg. In the 80s, Tori guested on Waters' radio KAOS in Tangerine Dreams, Yellowstone Park, and had an international hit with Culture Club's The War Song, on which she replicated her famous wordless wail in the middle of Boy George's peace anthem. 
Tori didn't get her moment in the spotlight until she retired and finally listened to friends who were urging her to pursue further compensation for her finest hour, which I think is fair. I think it's shocking that that album did so well and they didn't say we should give her a little bit more money. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? But also, did they know they could find her again? Writing music is so interesting to me because obviously she probably went in and heard this and then just kind of did what felt natural. Mm-hmm. But it's on that album. So therefore it's Pink Floyd's property. However, she, she I'm sure they didn't tell her what notes to hit. You know, they probably just said, here's the song, go in the studio, fucking make some noise. Yeah. But if she's, re- you know, repeating it on a different album, you know, it's not like a Taylor Swift scenario where she's like, I I wrote it, so... Lyrics, what what are lyrics? Like 50%? She, there were none. Yeah, that's what I'm <laughs> saying. Lyrics <laughs> are 50% or something of songwriting credit, and there weren't any actual lyrics, so she doesn't get naturally any credit for making, like, but noises. The, like, your voice is a natural instrument. So she's playing Right. Yeah, music. you're still contributing. Yeah. <laughs> you're still... Anybody... If it was me and I was trying to make something and somebody contributed something significant like that, that's mm. like the main piece of the song. I'm like, you're getting credit, and if it if it's successful, we can work something out yeah, to get you some money. More. That's like um, I saw a thing recently online because there's a big song at the end of one of the Harry Styles album that has like a full choir mm-hmm. singing a good portion of the chorus and like the beginning and end, and they're not credited, but. There are like multiple videos that he has used, I guess, in the recording process and has shown them on his own social media. So I don't know if he thought like, oh, well, we'll just give them the exposure. Uh, but like weird. they're not credited on the album. So therefore, I'm sure I they're wonder not if they weren't. I, I wonder if they weren't like an organized group. It was or- a church. Oh, like, well, cor- that's weird. Yeah. If it was just like like well, they put out a call for a bunch of fucking people and then handpicked each one. That would be no. one thing. But if it was like already was an like established already group, group, I believe. I don't know. I don't know the hired, details, but people were mad I mean, about at it. At least put R- their name so. on something. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, hello. Like there was... featuring the whatever, whatever choir. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So she sued Pink Floyd and its label EMI in the summer of 2004 for songwriting credits and lost wages for her work on The Great Gig in the Sky. The case was settled out of court in 2005 and further anniversary pressings of The Dark Side of the Moon have included Tori's name Good. as a co-writer on the track. I wonder how much she got from them, though, because like like they said, what was it? Forty five million records. I'm sold? sure that's still like one of the top top selling, selling albums. To this day. Yeah, probably. I mean, what the fuck? So Well, it settled pretty quickly. It said summer 2004, then settled out of court in 2005. So maybe Pink Floyd were like, hey, yeah, let's do something here. Like, she does deserve this. It was a huge thing. Let's get her something. Yeah. They're, they're fighting with each other so much. They're probably like, she did more than your ass. And uh, then they're well, like, fucking you pay her. <laughs> you know? Tori has lived out her words in the 47 years since the fateful winter Sunday studio session that landed her within arm's length of stardom. She honored her gift and burrowed her way into the company of rock and pop royalty. Even when support for her solo work flagged, then she finally saw her payday in retirement with ample time to sit back and enjoy it. That's an ending as neat as a fairy tale's. Are you crying again? We still have those expired eye drops. Are you using them? <laughs> I brought, brought my multi-allergy action. Really. Oh, if you listened to our last last episode uh, where Cassie used the eye drops from like 2020 
she didn't go blind, but she brought, I didn't. I'm she brought her own eye drops this time. But anyways, huh. I don't know. Um, I think that everybody should listen to Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon album, front to back. Make sure you stay tuned. We will let you know when the Ross Kilda episode uh, re-recording is posted. And uh, we're going to be working on season five here pretty soon. Well, I'll rest in peace. Love it. Music by Demons at Demons Band on Instagram. Artwork by Mike Johnson. Writing and production by Cassie Gardner, Alex Motler, and Jake.